Hello and welcome everybody. Welcome to the No Name Musicast. My name's Tim and this is Joy. And before we get started, I just wanted to give everyone the exciting news that us, the No Name Musicast, we are sponsoring Radio Freak Jam this month. Yay! Uh, for the, yeah, for the whole month of May. We're going to be sponsoring it. And for those who don't know, Radio Freak Jam is an online community of musicians. It was set up as they all had a open mic night in West London. And because of the pandemic, they wasn't able to perform live. So Ian Husbands, who um, heads up the Freak Jam, moved the whole thing online. And he's built this huge community of musicians now all over the world, predominantly in West London. But they've got people all over England and Ireland and the United States and Germany and all other places. And he's holding that whole community together with shows on YouTube. So we decided to sponsor it for a month. So if you go to freakjam.co.uk or look for Freak Jam on Facebook, you can be part of that community. You can play. You can just view what they're doing. It's a good bunch of people. So we thought it would be great to sponsor them for the month. So all of our uh, material is all over their stuff for this month. So uh, enjoy. So... It's my turn for the topic for the uh, podcast this week, and I'm surprised we've done nine episodes, ten episodes, if you include the pilot shows, 11 episodes, something like that, and we haven't done this as an actual topic. So tonight's episode is This is the Queen episode. Oh, of course. Why didn't we even think about that? Exactly. So what I decided to do... See, I could go full on geek with this and I could look through um, all the albums. I could I could look at B-sides. I could look at rare tracks and things like that. But he I can tell you when Brian May's hair started, the exact position it's in right now. <laughs> well, he was he was born in 1947 and <laughs> <laughs> he lived in Walsham Road, Feltham. And uh, that's where he built the guitar, etc. No, I mean, I could get into that level of detail if needed. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought for the bigger audience, you know, for our for our fans that we have who listen to the show week after week, I would just pick out some of my favorite tracks, maybe from the more popular greatest hits type catalog. And I thought okay. I'd just pick a few favorites out and we could uh, talk about them and, and, and see how it goes from there. So the first track I was thinking of, so I've got, I made a whole list and it did actually put them all in alphabetical order, but I'm just going to pick them out. You know, randomly. Of course you did. <laughs> and I put the albums they came from as well, of course. Yeah, alphabetize the albums too, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so the first track that I wanted to talk about was Who Wants to Live Forever from the album A Kind of Magic. That's a wonderful song. Why was that the first one you thought of? I don't know. I, I really like it. It's, um, it's from the film Highlander. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I really like the solo in that song that Brian May plays, but 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 I don't know, it's just a really good song. Well, and isn't it like the, in the video, it's the one where he's wearing like the tux, right? And he's yeah. like on a stage and it's like flashing lights. It kind of goes really along with the, you know, who wants to live forever kind of grandiose feeling the song has, which would I would imagine is why they put it in Highlander, which I haven't watched in a million years. But, you know, that's kind of a big thriller type movie in a sense so it, it matches yeah um, i mean i haven't i mean i've seen highlander a few times i'm, I'm not a fan of films in general and if they've and if if the films i like mostly are from the 70s and 80s and i've seen them all a hundred times my, my my brain is not that accepting for new uh, new cinema it's fair to say that's fair <laughs> <laughs> but, but but with this one I, I had to pick it out because because it is in uh i had to watch highlander because it has all the queen songs in it plus it's got a great that great line of um builds our dreams yet slips away like That's... that line is a fantastic line in that song so if you guys have never heard it go listen to it because the way he, the way it's like with the rhythm and everything that the emphasis on that line alone i think is fantastic just I absolutely did, did you ever um did you ever watch the freddie mercury tribute concert mm, i don't know i feel like i did but who was like who were some of the people who did the tributes well it was it was early 90s i think it was 92 or 93 i seem to remember i watched it live on tv when it was on and what, I, I was gonna say i think i might have seen it on youtube but i can't specifically remember well, in that particular concert, they had like all the stars of the day singing with uh, Brian May, Roger Taylor and John Deacon. 
uh, sort of paying tribute to Freddie Mercury, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, they, do you remember Seal? Yeah. Yeah, he covered that with them at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. And yes. I think and I think for me, him and George Michael were the stars of that show. George Michael is the one that got all of the praise, and quite rightly so. Okay, you're right. I have seen it because I definitely have seen the George Michael. If I haven't seen the whole thing, I've seen the George Michael thing and heard a lot of people give him props for that show. Yeah, but I think Seal was the young son hero there because he, he did such a good version of Who Wants to Live Forever. He's also a good singer. Like Seal's voice is gorgeous. He's not as popular, but he's got a gorgeous voice. No, that's true. And I and my claim to fame is I once saw Seal at Heathrow Airport in Terminal Two. And we mean Seal the artist. You weren't looking at a seal, right? No, there, there, there was no, there was nobody who'd been swimming in the sea uh, recently. No, it wasn't. <laughs> There was no wildlife from the ocean. We're talking about seal, bat seal. Okay. Yes, I just needed to confirm. <laughs> and the thing is, you, you couldn't really miss him because he's incredibly tall and he was wearing a black leather jacket from head to toe. It's like a, you know, like a rain, almost like a raincoat type thing, but it was a very stylish black mm-hmm. leather jacket. And it was, it was like just this imposing figure. And I went, oh, well, that's seal. And, and he's just, British, right? I believe so, yeah. I think he is. And he's, um, you know, he's known for his like Kiss from a Rose song. Yeah. Isn't that from isn't that from like some Batman film? Oh, you're asking the wrong person. (laughs) 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 I thought, well, no, I'm thinking of I believe I can fly. I was going to say wasn't that it's Space Jam, but different thing, (laughs) different thing. I just know he had like that one song crazy and kiss from a rose or the two I know from seal. Cause I mean, I wouldn't say he's a one hit wonder, but maybe like a one album wonder. Yeah. Maybe he's a, he's a one collection of songs wonder. Yeah. That's kind of where I would put him, but he does have a gorgeous voice, kind of like a, a Tony Braxton, you know, she had like those like four or five songs that kind of went crazy in the nineties. It has that gorgeous voice. Mm-hmm. It's kind of where I equate him to in the music world. I, I do know that there's a there's a seal CD in the in the thrift shop that I go to on a regular basis, <laughs> and I have not bought it because the insert has water damage. Just saying. Oh, darn. <laughs> well, poor seal. Yeah, I, I won't even buy his heavily discounted CD because it has a splash of water on it. Okay, I can. Yeah, and he he was married to Heidi Klum. Klum, what is is that her Klum. last name? Heidi Klum. Klum. Yes, my pronunciation was way off on that, but she, I know he was married to her for a while, too. That's my extent of SEAL knowledge. She's British. He had two songs. Mm. He was not in Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> and he was married to Heidi Klum. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, well, let me, let me move on to another one. Move, moving off the SEAL topic and another one of my favorite songs of, of uh, queen and this is this was off their last album as a band it, it made in heaven was their last official album but they they made that after freddie mercury died the last album they made as a band was innuendo and this obviously is from innuendo and it's the classic show must go on oh and it's amazing that that's like their last album together too like if you think about it, like as a band, because of the like the context of the song with the show must go on, it's kind of heartbreaking if you think about it. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I'm a, I'm a super fan. I have all you know. I have I have all the albums. I've been a fan since the uh, probably late eighties, I suppose. And um, I've seen Brian May play and all that kind of stuff. But there's something about innuendo from beginning to end is absolutely fantastic it's like they knew they didn't they was living on borrowed time with freddie mercury and they were going to make the best album that they could well and that you know and they did because i mean it was kept secret from the world that he was you know obviously unhealthy um but and the sad part about that is nowadays while aids is still not something you ever want to get it's not really a death sentence anymore no, I, I th- I, from my understanding is that, you know, if, if you was HIV positive or you had AIDS, it's um, you don't live a good life, but, you know, you, you, you're alive. Mm-hmm. Well, and they've they've had so many breakthroughs and all this kind of stuff that like you you'll be on medication. You might have a little bit more health problems, but, you know, it's definitely not the deal it was whenever um, 
in the 80s, like when Freddie Mercury had it. So, but I do, it is kind of like you said, it's kind of cool that that album was so great and that you picked that song specifically just because that was his last one. And he's that kind of person that you imagine he would want the show to go on mm-hmm. even after he passes because he was all about the show. Not not that he wasn't substance, but he was about the show too. No, absolutely. Did you? And you've you've seen the Bohemian Rhapsody film, I take it, multiple times. And did did you see it? Did you see it in the uh, cinema? No, I saw the Elton John one, but Rocket Man in cinema. But I'd miss that one. But I've seen it plenty of times at home. Yeah, well, as you know, they they the closing credits in Bohemian Rhapsody, they play "Show Must Go On," mm-hmm. and. The the the, the, the theatre in the Christiansburg was it sound the sound quality was pretty good but we saw it in Texas when we was on a trip there and the the sound system they had in that that theatre was absolutely fantastic and with that show must go on blaring out it was it's almost like being at a concert it was fantastic do you know the one that I saw in concert or I saw in a what, movie kind of music thing that I saw and I was the only person in the theatre I was in Roanoke and I was with my twin sister we were the only two people there we had went to eat and it was like that two p.m. show so like not very many people were there was Mm -hmm. this is us where they were doing the one for michael jackson have you seen that tim do you know what i actually haven't seen it i saw i saw moon do you remember moonwalker his film in the 80s Mm -hmm. i saw that with my friend from primary school stephen charman who's probably not going to be listening to this but i'm giving you a shout out anyway (laughs) but I (laughs) i saw it with him and he was not really a music fan and it was completely lost on him. He was expecting to go along to see a film film and didn't quite um, know what he was getting involved with. But no, I've, I saw that in the cinema, but I never saw um, This Is It. Or This Is It. I said This Is Us, which was the name of the last concert, if you guys didn't know that he was working on. Um, but it was cool because he he they go through like all the back uh, like all the filming they had they obviously had been planning to make the movie for a long time because they've been filming for a while mm-hmm. and there's a scene where michael and this is not related to queen but like you said this is the podcast that goes off subject but there's a <laughs> scene where he is um you know smooth criminal so and they're and this big the big deal with this concert was going to be they were using a lot of like electronic type technical techno type things so they were going to have like a big screen during smooth criminal and when the beat drops, like he was going to have to like jump out from the screen. It was going to look like he was breaking through it or something like that. I don't remember specifically, but something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when that happened, he was going to like do something on stage. He had to have the timing just right. And they're like, okay, Michael, we need to know when this needs to happen for this happen. And he kept going, I will just feel it when the time comes. And the director was sitting there thinking, I don't care if you can feel it when the time comes, please tell me when I need to hit the button to make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was the funniest thing ever. Cause that's a very Michael thing to say. Like, I'll just feel it when the time comes and I can see the poor director's face going, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> so in the footage, did, did he feel it or did he do it or whatever he's supposed to do? Yeah, he did. If I can't remember, it was something about like, you were looking up and you know, it's smooth criminal, the music video, they've got their little um, suits on with their fedoras and stuff. And mm-hmm. they're doing the thing where they do the slide where they they famously have their boots or whatever into the ground. It looks like they're sliding and they're like flat flat and then something like exploded and he was going to pop out or something no it happened when they were recording it it happened michael felt it but i could feel for the director too because <laughs> <laughs> i mean if you've ever worked with somebody like that you're just like that doesn't help me though <laughs> it, 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 you know what that sounds like i was, I was going to make actually i was going to make a star wars reference and i remembered you're in the andy bradley <laughs> camp of uh, star wars fans <laughs> I know there's a cantina. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but, but there you go. Okay. Well, let me, uh, let me, let me, uh, let me uh, just divert this back to the, uh, back. <laughs> to the, to the queen world. So ne- next song I have on my list is one vision from a kind of magic. I'm not as familiar with that one. I'm trying to think, how does it go, Tim? One vision. Tim's impersonation skills are spot on. Okay. I have, okay. They're like around a microphone singing, right? And one guy's got glasses in the video. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Then I've heard it, but I'm not super familiar with it. 
Oh, okay. Well, it was just, it, the one one vision is from the A Kind of Magic album. Um, I think it. May, I'm not sure if it does feature in uh, Highlander, but it's it's the same era. But uh, one vision was the song that they wrote after playing Live Aid. They was inspired to write one vision after performing at Live Aid. So I Googled one vision while we were talking, just so I could kind of get a visual for that's why I was like, is that the one with there? So I listened to that. Have you heard the thing about fried chicken? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, Freddie Mercury would say fried chicken instead of one vision. Yeah, I, I can tell you exactly where that comes from. So when they recorded the song in Montreux at Mountain Studios, because I'm a geek and I know that kind of stuff, and Brian May wasn't using the Red Special for that track. He was using the Guild, but the 1984 Guild with the Kayla Trem, but I will knock off my guitar geekery right now. Um, when, <laughs> when they were recording it, you know, you record a track, and Freddie hadn't decided what um, vocals he was going to put on the track. So you often you scat a, a guide vocal just to give you an idea where you want to be in the track and then how you're going to make the words fit to it and stuff like that. <laughs> and then, then there's a video on the on the um, video set, The Magic Years, which is something that's never been released on DVD. If you're a if you're a geeky fan like me, you have a copy of it and it off a VHS tape or a laser disc. Joy doesn't have that. No, but you know, I'm a geeky super fan. But anyway, there's a scene in it where Freddie Mercury is like the band's playing the track live and he's just scatting the vocal and he goes, blah, blah, one, this one, that one, sex position, one, blah, 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 John Deacon. Whoa, whoa, fried chicken. And that's where it comes from. And when they actually wrote the vocal, they kept the fried chicken piece in from the guide vocal. Well, I just learned that me and Freddie Mercury have something in common, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been in a lot of um, choirs. We've talked about this. There was this song we used to sing. Um, it goes, see a humbuckookinyanquinkos, which really means we are marching in the light of. Anyway, so when we start, it's in, it's in some language in Africa. I don't remember which language it was mm -hmm. doesn't but in my high school a lot of people started saying see your mama cooking ham and toast or sometimes it was egg and toast <laughs> <laughs> instead of the sea humba so that's what i have in common with freddie mercury we make up lyrics to songs but, but, but were they, yeah, and I think that's a good connection to have. <laughs> <laughs> These are a little bit more logical most of the time than mine and probably actually became songs. But now you guys know it's see your mama cooking ham and toast. I will always remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll go down and Anthony for that and doing the Cupid shuffle and getting injured. <laughs> Your, your, your legendary line dancing in, injury as, uh, as confirmed on this podcast about two episodes ago. <laughs> so um, what's funny is when we were, you made the joke, well, it wasn't the wobble, was it? And then I was like, yeah, it actually was. I got injured at the wobble too. And I was thinking to myself, I think I just wobbled a little too hard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Queen. <laughs> so looking through my other list of songs here, which uh, as I said, this isn't, my favorite, favorite Queen songs, they're ones that I've picked out that I enjoy from the more popular okay. Queen, Queen catalog. So how could I not be talking about the catalog of Queen and not mention Flash? I knew that's where it was going. It was playing <laughs> in my head. I was like, Flash, uh, savior of the universe. And thanks to Tim, my husband was introduced. Well, I always talk about that album because Tim and me were talking about it at work. And my husband had never made the connection. He knew who Flash Gordon was, but he had never made the connection that Queen was the one singing all the music. And so then he started playing it on repeat and now he's obsessed with it. it and you know what I love about the Flash Gordon album? I mean, the, the title track is great. But what I like about the Flash Gordon album is it's one of those old timey music soundtracks where mm -hmm. you can listen to the soundtrack beginning to end and it follows the story of the film and it has excerpts of, of um, dialogue from the film in it. Yeah, because you've got like um, the Ming's theme and then you've got what is it like where they're doing like they're getting out of the swamp or something like the escape mm -hmm. from the swamp. So I didn't pick up on those were pieces of the like I, I've watched some of Flash Gordon, probably not near as much as Tim, but I have seen it and I know what it is. 
I didn't pick up that the the album was like playing along with it until Tim told me. But then once he told me and I went back and listened to it, I was like, oh, my God, he's right. So if you've never thought about that and listen to the Flash Gordon album, do it. It's really cool. Yeah, I would say for our friends who um, are uh, people who just listen to Spotify and listen to playlists on Spotify and that kind of stuff, find the album and then listen to it beginning to end. Yep. It was really cool. Said because Charlie wanted to play it. We have all of our sound system in our house hooked up across the house, and you can just tell Google to play something, and it'll play, you know, on all the speakers. Mm-hmm. So I had to hear the Flash Gordon uh, as loud as you could make it across my house for like six weeks straight after Charlie. After I mentioned it to Charlie, <laughs> he likes <laughs> it, the grandiose things. Have you? And are you are you familiar with the track on there called Football Fight as well? I've heard it. I don't know that I'm super familiar. It's, it's, it's the bit in the film when he is, because um, the story is that Flash Gordon is an American football player. So yeah. he, he's battling Ming's people in the big ceremony room, somewhere near the beginning of the film. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And they have some kind of ceremonial egg or something. But, of course, being a football player, he, he recognizes it as a football, and then he starts throwing it and mm-hmm. bonking it on people's heads and stuff like that. But what's cool about that, have you ever seen the film Ted? Many times. You know the bit when Mark Wahlberg and Ted find out that they, they, they're going to go and meet Sam Jones? Yeah. And he gets in his car and he's driving to where Sam Jones is and he's dreaming about how great this is going to be. And he's, there's all bits of the film in there and his car's driving there before they pull up at the party where Sam Jones is. Yes. So when I met Sam Jones in Roanoke about six, eight <laughs> months ago, as I was coming off, I had it all perfectly timed. As I was coming off 81, getting onto 581, guess what I had queued up ready? <laughs> <laughs> to listen on your way in. Yeah, I had football fight playing. And as I pulled into the Roanoke Civic Center, it was still going. It was a fabulous moment. Tim has a picture of him with Flash Gordon in his office. I it's do. True. And in fact, I, I feel obliged to put the picture of me and Flash in the uh, Facebook group after I after we finish the record. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> so music in the movie Ted. <laughs> One thing that happens, have you watched all of Ted or have you just seen that scene, Tim? To be honest, I've only ever seen the bit with Sam Jones. <laughs> that's what I figured. I was like, that's a too modern movie for Tim to have seen. It. But there is a funny music joke in there that's not related to this. You know, the Bare Naked Ladies, the group? Yeah, yeah one week or whatever. So there's a scene where Ted, the little bear is singing it. It's at the party um, that they're going to, or whatever that they actually flash forwarded shows up at. Um, and he's singing it. And he's like, isn't it funny how you can sing this song? And no one in the nineties actually had to say words. It's just sounds. And he's like <laughs> making the sounds to one week. And he's just <laughs> emphasizing all the vowels. <laughs> and I was like, and so now every time I hear that, that's all I hear. Hmm. Yeah, because there's a bit and it goes, one way goes, he's singing karaoke and that's all he does. And he's like, isn't it crazy how half of the music in the 90s, that's all you had to do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I don't don't think I've seen that bit. As I said, I've just seen the bit where he meets Flash. (laughs) I figured, I was like, I don't think Tim's seen the whole movie, but there are some funny parts in that movie and that's one of them. (laughs) I will say that my interaction with sam jones in real life was better than character sam jones in the film he was super cool he signed everything i wanted him to sign that he did charge me 60 bucks for signing my three things but you know the guy's gotta make a living i suppose but that's fine that was his price and then i had a picture taken with him and the roanoke um, civic center comic-con had covid protocols and they had things you were supposed to do and masks and distance pictures and all this kind of stuff and then i said oh i said can i get a picture sam and he said sure and he said oh you don't have to worry about the mask thing he said you probably want a good picture <laughs> so he, he grabbed me around by the arm took a picture Tim's the reason for the pandemic man tim <laughs> <laughs> Just so everyone knows, we do follow um, me and Tim do follow COVID protocols in both situations, but this was an exception. I mean, it was Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. I mean, he saved the universe. I mean, he's not going to give me a airborne transmissible disease, for goodness sake. He I couldn't mean, he's, have that. He, he's defeated Ming. I mean, that's funny. It's, it was fine. <laughs> I didn't even think about that was during the height of COVID. I thought it was pre. <laughs> No, it was, as I said, it was during, you know, that time where everything shut down and then everything opened back up again, but it was kind of a bit weird. 
Mm-hmm. It was during that time, and it was like a very brief window when he started going out and doing those conventions again. Before they shut us all back down again, yeah. pretty much. But as I said, Sam, I didn't ask for that. Sam offered that, and and if it had been any random person on the street, I'd felt weird about it, but I mean, when, when am I going to get to see Flash Gordon <laughs> it, again? You, you weighed the risk, and you took the chance. The pros exactly. and cons was a pro, not a con. Yeah, and I I came out the other side happy and healthy and no diseases from Flash, just saying. And Tim had the antibody test, so we can't confirm. Tim had never had COVID. There you go. (laughs) And I did. And the best part was, is after I had all the autographs and I had the picture and he once he firmly shook my hand again, probably not the thing that he was supposed to do at that time. But I said, Sam, I said, I'm sure a lot of people say this to you, but. I said, thank you for saving the universe. And he said, it's cool, man. It's cool. Well, there we go. (laughs) And one of Tim's, one of the highlights of Tim's life. (laughs) Oh, I I tell you. And I I do, um, I follow him on Instagram and he's, he's back out doing the convention circuit. So if he comes within a three hour drive of here, I may go and meet Sam again. Well, it sounds like he was a cool dude. So you gotta go. I, I, I highly recommend meeting sam j jones if you happen to see him at some one of these pay 60 dollars to have something signed type things would you if it had been hasselhoff and it was the height of covid and he offered to take a picture would you have taken the risk tim yes he's one that you would have taken the risk for too i thought so but i've I've met david hasselhoff i have a picture with david hasselhoff i should have known that Joy, I've known you for 40 <laughs> years or something now, however long it is. Have I never told you my Hasselhoff story and showed you the picture of me and David Hasselhoff? No? I actually don't think so. <laughs> Which is crazy because it seems like something that would have come up after the many conversations we've had about David Hasselhoff. So this was 20, 2009, 2008, something like that. It was I was still living in England at the time. Okay. And he he had an autobiography out. I never read the book, but Hannah read it and she said he clearly didn't write it. It's ghostwritten. But anyway, that's beside the point. He had this book out and he was doing a book signing at, I think it was Waterstones in London, in central London. And me and my friend who was um, Rob, the Mighty Mammal, who was the drummer in Rough Justice, is a band I used to used to play in. I, actually, I still consider myself a member of that band, even though I haven't played in that band for <laughs> 10 plus years but anyway he's a legacy member yeah so anyway myself and the mighty mammal went up to um went up to where it was oxford street or regent street one of those those streets up in the middle of london where the big bookshop was we got there stupid early like he was signing at 6 13 we was up there at four o'clock or something it was very early and we it was in the basement and it's it's like i'm sure it's not like um barn well actually i suppose it's about the size of like Barnes and Noble in Christiansburg, but with two floors. Gotcha. Okay. And certainly, certainly for London stores, that's a, a large bookshop. So the book signing was happening in the basement. So we went down to the basement and even several hours before, there was a good amount of people lining up. So we, uh, we get, in the, get in the line and we was maybe 20, 30 people from the front. And... It was already turning into a circus down there. It, it really was. There was like everyone had phones going off playing the Night Rider theme. There was Baywatch merchandise <laughs> everywhere. And then the more people that came, the more circus like this thing came. And at one point there was, but just before he arrived, there was maybe 200 plus people down there. It was just people everywhere and as i said and it was, it was and there was more night rider ringtones going off and inflatable more baywatch stuff and somebody had like a pamela anderson cut out full life lies cut out it was it was a whole thing anyway That's exactly what i would imagine anywhere david hasselhoff goes it looks like <laughs> so anyway so hasselhoff arrives and he comes down there was an escalator that came down onto into the ground floor where we were and as he comes down, they, I think it was like almost like in slow motion. <laughs> he, he gets about halfway down and he says, hey, guys. And I was like, woo. 
And he says, what do you like? Do you like Hasselhoff or Hoff? And everyone went, Hoff! And he goes, Hoff, 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 oh, Hoff. God. And, and everyone's chanting Hoff as he comes down. So anyway, it, it comes down a little bit and he goes behind his, his desk and um, starts signing books. And as I said, we were quite close to the front, 20 or so people. So we got to see him pre- pretty soon. And um, there was a bunch of uh, girls in front. I think they were Italian, I think. They were Italian or Spanish, I can't remember. Actually, no, they were Italian. I remember that. And he, I don't know how this happened, but he started singing You Lost That Loving Feeling in Italian <laughs> to them. <laughs> Of course he did. <laughs> oh, God. So eventually I get to the front. To and get did my he pic- sing to you in Italian, Tim? No, he um, he signed my book. And I said, I said, David, it's a pleasure to meet you. I said, can I get my picture taken with you? And he said, of course, no problem. He said, come around the back of the signing table. So I come around the back of the signing table and all these security people just like descend. And then he was really cool. He said, hey, guys, he said, people will want pictures. He said, you just stay back. This is cool. i think though like everything okay so i'm gonna tell you something strange that you're not gonna know but for some reason a lot of times when i think of david hasselhoff i know he had you know his little music career for a while he did have a music career guys so this counts because we're talking about musicians here (laughs) but he's also a knight rider and things like that but he was in the spongebob movie (laughs) i don't know if you know that i do but i've never seen it There's like a scene where he like comes up on the beach and it's like a Baywatch related scene. And so and it's just ridiculous. And so with my mind, because he was in that, I kind of always imagined everything around him to be kind of ridiculous. (laughs) So when you're talking about like people cheering and and like (laughs) that's exactly what I would imagine. And my favorite is that he started his own chant as he's coming down the escalator. Of course. (laughs) But 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 the funny thing about this is so I'm behind the signing table. And the um, he's I'm taking my picture, and the security people are backed off. And my friend Rob, the mighty mammal, he um, he speaks a little. He speaks a little bit more Cockneyish. It's the best okay. way I can describe it. He's, he's a little bit more Feltham than I am. For people who know who live around there, so he's taking the because he just came along just for the fun of it. He didn't want his picture with David Hasselhoff or anything. So he's got my camera, and he's going oi off. Off, look up, off, off. You're not looking up, off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, Lord. That's an amazing story, Tim. And I I can't believe I've never said that. I've never heard that story. (laughs) Of all the stories you've told me, that's not one that I've heard. So that that was, everything about it is just so ridiculous, like a circus around him. And I'm like, of course there was. Of course there was. Now, you like some of Hasselhoff's music, didn't you, Tim? Did I imagine I, you saying um, that? I'm, I'm a connoisseur of Hasselhoff's musical output. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. All right. Back to Queen. <laughs> and, uh, and for our Spotify friends, look up the Night Rocker album by David Hasselhoff on Spotify. It's a uh, 80s rock and roll masterpiece. But, you know, that maybe that's a discussion for another uh, another podcast episode the life and times of david hasselhoff's <laughs> music career i'm sure we'll get one one download from somebody in germany if we do that but or one kid for- who was hoping we were going to talk about the spongebob movie he's <laughs> 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 like what is this i wanted to hear about patrick star <laughs> all right back to queen back to queen so as i said i looked through my list of songs which i enjoy of queen well, from from the fabled jazz album, Don't Stop Me Now. I mean, what a classic. If I have to pick one song that sums up everything I like about Queen, it's Don't Stop Me Now. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. Have you noticed it kind of like got re-popular, researched again? I don't know if it was because of the Bohemian Rhapsody movie or something, but like I liked it before it researched, but now I feel like people talk about it a lot more than they ever did when I was younger. Yeah, I think it was. It was in. Um, it was in that. Oh, I can't. People are going to be going. No, it's. You should know what it is. What was that? Zo- what was that zombie film that it was in? Once again, wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> zombie film. I mean, I can Google it. Let's see. The zombie movie. Don't stop me now. Right. Yeah, because if if you don't Google it, um, our friend Phil, who listens to this podcast, will be going, no, they don't know what it is. They should know. <laughs> Zombie movie. Oh, Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Shaun Dead. Of the there dead. You go. It was on the tip of my tongue. 
Okay, that I have seen. I just don't remember. Oh, no, it's like when they're running from like zombies or there's like a fight or something, right? There's a fight in the Winchester in the pub. Yeah, that's what it is. Because I see the pub. I've watched Shaun of the Dead many times, but I didn't pick up on that. When you were thinking zombie movie, I don't really think of Shaun of the Dead as a zombie movie, even though it is because it's so comical. Yeah, it's, it's not like there's not like 28 days later. Have you seen that film? No, but I know what it is. Not a fan. I I don't like scary films, horror films, films like that. Somehow, 28 Days Later got into my film <laughs> viewing, and it, it joined the 12 or so films that I can enjoy at any moment. I don't know, I like it. Okay, so I actually like scary, and I like crime and stuff a lot, but I'm not big on the zombie thing for whatever reason. It just doesn't register with me. But isn't that is that the one where the zombies run really fast? Well, no, what happens is that there was a there's an outbreak of a disease called rage, which comes from a monkey that escapes from a research lab. Oh, and every, everybody in, in that the, hits way too close to home here recently. Continue. Yeah, and everybody in the country gets rage, and when they get rage, they turn into zombies. And then they, okay. if you get bitten by a zombie, you become infected with rage. And what <laughs> happens is, it's the story of this bicycle courier who gets hit by a car prior to this happening, and he wakes okay, up. From I remember a, now. Yeah, and he wakes up from a coma, and the whole of London is completely deserted. But what's cool about it is all the scenes of London being deserted were filmed. As it was, there's no computer graphics. So huh. they so they would do a they would like go onto London Bridge at four o'clock in the morning when the sun was coming up and, and shoot five seconds of footage when there was no one around and then do it the next day, next day, next day. That's interesting. No, I um for some reason zombies aren't really my one, but there's one and I think it might be Evil Dead, and there's a video game too. But I always had this theory if we did get if zombies attacked him, I feel like they're not going to be the zombies that we think they're going to be. I would be, you know, like in every zombie movie, they're represented as slow moving, like, you know, kind of dumb creatures. I'd be scared. And then there's one. And that was the one I thought 28 days was, but I think it's um, the one I said a minute ago. That's got the video game. What was it? What did I even say? I don't even remember now, but it, the zombies move really fast and they're like agile and like, physically act so my fear is if we did get attacked by zombies we would be severely disappointed because they would not be the slow moving zombies they would be like physically agile it would just take us all out that's my theory on zombies my, my theory on zombies is if we was going to get um, attacked by zombies it would be like a disease like we have now yeah that's exactly what would happen yeah. that's why when you said the monkey thing i was like well that hits real close to home <laughs> Just like a bat, you know, that somebody ate somewhere. I don't uh, know. The, the, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> somebody anyway, out there. Back, 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 back on, back onto the world of the Queen. So, um, <laughs> how did we get to? Oh yeah, you were asking about Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, another one from the same album. Going steering back to our topic in hand. Um, for again from jazz is Bicycle Race. Oh, of course. Which is also a great one. Um, it has a. Um, I always. It's. I, I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. Is one that just sticks in my head and randomly pops up, regardless if I've heard it in a million years or not. It might be because I see a bicycle and that's what comes to mind. But that mm -hmm. song is like constantly once a week. I'll be just saying that to myself, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 a, it's a great track. Well, and I like the, you know, the parts where he's like, you say Rolls, I say Royce, like the back and forth is really cool. And it matches like melody wise and like musically wise. It has a really cool banter. Like it goes through different kind of like a juxtaposition between the I watch ride my bicycle. And then when he flips to the next person that you say this, I say that mm -hmm. it, it, it's very rhythmically kind of interesting. Um, and so I think that's what makes it even cooler, because, you know, if it was just a song about bicycles, we'd be like. That's kind of weird, but the way they do it is very cool. And I, and I think, I mean, I, I flip flop what my favorite Queen album is. Sometimes it's Queen 2, sometimes it's Night the Opera, sometimes it's Innuendo, but jazz beginning to end. There's not a bad track on it. If I had to pick one, it would probably be jazz because it's got most of my favorite songs from Queen on it. And what I like about it is the very last track, you know, like if, if you ever listen to like an orchestral score, they have like the overture at the beginning. 
mm-hmm. and, it, and it has little snippets of all the songs that are coming up in in the in the yeah. in the song like a this prelude has, yeah this has a thing in the end called all of that jazz where roger taylor sings it and then they play snippets of every track that's in the on the album oh that is cool i didn't know that tim we forgot the most obvious line though from bicycle that we need to talk about mm-hmm. and i don't like star wars <laughs> of all the things we've talked about star wars keeps coming up there's literally a lot in bicycle that goes and i don't like star wars he says it's so matter of fact <laughs> now i wonder tim with all your knowledge about queen did freddie mercury like star wars i f- i don't know but there is a photograph in existence of freddie mercury on i think it was on the tour the jazz tour I believe where he is sitting on the shoulders of a roadie and the roadie has a Darth Vader helmet on. I've seen that. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. That, for me, that just was like, were they just at a party and there happened to be a guy <laughs> with a Darth Vader hat on. So I don't know. I will tell you that Brian May is a, is a Star Wars super fan. Of course he is. And he, he he collects all the Kenner action figures. I do know that. And, he, and apparently in his house, he has a whole room full of that stuff. Well, in my house, I have a whole room full of Funko Pops. So I have something in common with Brian May. You and you and Brian May friends. <laughs> and me and Freddie Mercury sing songs about food. <laughs> I mean, you're effectively in Queen at this point. That's what, yes. that's what, that's what I'm figuring Adam out. Adam Lambert, who? I, I'm up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I know. I will say one other thing about um, Brian May and Star Wars. So, in Bohemian Rhapsody, the 20th Century Fox jingle sound at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Every film up to now is always played with the classic, and it's yeah. orchestral. Mm-hmm. Every song has been the same. Every movie's been the same. And um, 20th Century Fox have been asked many times whether they would allow it to be played a different way to, to suit the narrative of the film. And they've always said no. And Brian May insisted that he wanted to do it in his multi-tracked harmony guitar style. And the reason he wanted to do that was he said he loves Star Wars so much and, you know, opens with that, that he thought, well, if I'm having my own film, I want to play that my way. Oh, that's really cool, actually. Makes sense. And they let him do it. And they said they'd never done it. They'd never let anyone do it up to then because they said they didn't want to start a president with it because they said they don't want the next film that comes out and it's done. By rap, chicken or something. And the something. next one it's done, you know, electronic or. I just imagine like the movie Chicken Little and a chicken's barking it or something at yeah, you. That's <laughs> that, they, yeah, they didn't want to get involved in that. But, but, yeah, but there you go. That's interesting. I can see where they're coming. It's like an HR whenever people want to update their pictures online, Tim. And I'm like, no, don't do it. I can't get this started because once it starts, next thing I know, people are going to have pictures of Tickle Me Elmo on there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You you don't you don't want to start that as the HR person. I understand that. They will see you. You're bringing your professional influence into (laughs) into this world. All right. What's next, Tim? What we got? Well, as I said, I, I have this this whole list here, but, but one one track that stands out to me, a kind of magic, a kind of magic. That's a great one too. And is there and a particular the, reason? There's a there's a yeah, it's a geeky reason, and I. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a bit in a so it, it's a standard Queen song for eighties era, some, some synthesizers, guitar. But it has that kind of eighties sound about it, but there's a bit in it where. He, Freddie Mercury sings the line in secret harmony. That was the line I was going to. Doesn't he say, like, I'm hearing secret harmony? I'm hearing secret harmony, yeah. That was the line I was thinking of. So, what happened is when they were recording that track, Brian May was out of the studio and, I, Roger, and Roger Taylor, and I think the producer was in the studio, and Brian May had left all his gear there. Now, Roger Taylor is a drummer obviously in queen and he's a very very good singer he's he's probably a better rock singer than most people have as their regular front man he's such a good singer if you ever listen to the cross or Mm -hmm. any of his solo stuff he's a great singer and you know he sings songs himself from the queen's from the queen catalog yes but he also is a multi-instrumentalist and he plays keyboards and he plays guitar as well so when brown mate was out of the studio because freddie had sang the line i'm hearing secret harmony 
He played Brian May's Red Special guitar and played a harmony line on it and then double double tracked it a number of times like Brian May does and dropped oh. it in the track. So what you hear on the track when he says, I'm hearing secret harmony and there's that it's actually Roger Taylor playing that. Oh, well, I've Roger Taylor's like, first of all, I have heard him sing. He's an amazing singer, but doesn't he play like a bunch of instruments too? It's not, I know he doesn't just play the drums. Obviously he plays the guitar, but I've heard that he plays like five instruments or something. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the guy is a, like multi-talented, multi-talented, you know, and I've met Roger Taylor as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, that, but that was that 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 was no circus. That was um, it was either HMV or Virgin Megastore in London, and he had an album out called Happiness. And we queued up for ages. <clears throat> we got to the table, and he signed my album. And do you know what I think about when I think about Roger Taylor? Every photo of him, he always looks so serious. Have you ever noticed that? He'll be sitting in a photo right beside like Brian May. If you've never noticed it, guys, I'm going to find an example and put it on the page. Even when he's smiling, I've never met someone who looks so serious. Yeah, you see, because he's 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 wearing sunglasses. He's being a rock star. That's what it is. I guess that's what it is. But even I'm thinking of him now as an adult, because you know him and Brian May did a lot of like pictures together and stuff when they started retouring. But mm -hmm. even when he was younger, his eyes he did he always looked he he was a rock star. You know, he was having fun doing all this stuff. He had the mullet mm -hmm. at one point, like the shaggy mullet hair. But for some reason, his eyes are the most serious looking. Okay, and maybe it's just me, guys, but I really think he has the most <laughs> serious looking eyes I've ever seen. Anyway, I will find an example. Yeah, you find, it, you find an example and post it and say, these are Roger Taylor's, Taylor's serious <laughs> eyes. Like he always just looks like he's severely concerned about what's going on around him. And maybe he was, because there was a <laughs> lot of stuff going on around him at some point. <laughs> well, one, well, another interesting fact is if you ever see any picture, especially 80s era queen, mm -hmm. you see Freddie Mercury looks like a rock star. Brian May looks like a rock star. Roger Taylor looks like a rock star. John Deacon looks Deacon. like a, just, a, just a bloke. Yeah, he just kind of looks like a random dude that wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> well, the thing <laughs> is, is that he, he was fed up with it in the 80s. He wanted to leave, and, the, and the, the guys in the band wanted him to stay. I mean, John Deacon's written such amazing songs. You know, You're My Best Friend is John Deacon. I mean, it's all it's good stuff, and he's an incredibly underrated bass player. But, yeah. like, but all, he, all he wanted to do was go to his wife and his children and just not be a rock star. And I can't say I blame him for that because, I mean, people are allowed to do that. But, yeah, even now as he's gotten older, like, I wouldn't recognize him on the street. He just looks like an average British guy. Yeah, no, I, saw, <laughs> I saw some pictures of um, I think he lives in Putney. There were some pictures of uh, or, yeah, I think it's Putney. He lives in somewhere like around that kind of way. And um, I saw pictures taken a year or two ago. And like you say, he looks like an old man in his 70s. Brian May and Roger Taylor still look like rock stars, but he just yeah. looks like an old guy in his 70s. And, you, and if you didn't know it was John Deacon, you you wouldn't know it was John Deacon. I would. I could easily recognize Roger Taylor because of the serious eyes. Brian May because of the hair and because he's Brian May. And I imagine he always just looks kind of cool. But then if I saw John Deacon in the street, I'd be like, that dude? <laughs> That's the one? Are you sure? Are we talking to the right guy? Because he's kind of just like his white hair. He's kind of heavier set now. And like, I imagine him just having a cigarette, his head, just, you know, chilling. Yeah. And he and he, he also wants nothing to do with the Queen world. He, um, he, Brian, he supports whatever Brian May and Roger Taylor want to do, but he wants no influence and he wants nothing to do with it. He made his money. He just, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm done. Peace. Well, he probably just wants to basically retire and do what he can do. Yeah. Exactly, which is spend time with his children and family and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't he have a lot of kids? I, th I think he has two children or three children. I thought he had like four or something, but maybe I'm hearing that wrong. But mind you, at this point, they're probably 40 odd years old. So. That is a good point. <laughs> it's not like they're hanging out at his house anymore. <laughs> well, maybe they are. I don't know, but... John Deacon's happy. It's all. It's Tim, all how old are all the members of Queen? <laughs> Go. Brian May's 73. Roger Taylor, I think, is 71. or I think he's 72. Hmm. Do we not know about John Deacon? It's probably about the same, but I'm not as invested in that. So world. all early 70s. That's what yeah, we're getting. There you go. <laughs> all right. We got probably like one, one or two more songs. I think so. So 
one of my one of my favorite from a guitar perspective is uh from sheer heart attack killer queen oh of course um i know that uh not everybody's going to agree with this, but Tim actually does like this artist. We've talked about her, Katy Perry. So she said that she, her larger than life persona on stage, she imagined herself being a killer queen because of the song. That's what she wanted. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I heard her talking about it in an um, interview once, and I thought that was a really cool statement to make. I I, I mean, I, I lo- in fact, I completely coincidentally, I was listening to Killer Queen driving home, and that's because it came up on shuffle. I didn't preempt that but there's a there's a bit in it when the guitar solo comes in he plays the the line the guitar line and then it comes in as these bells where they're like one's panned left and one's panned right and then the whole thing comes together and they all join up in harmony i don't even know that i've ever paid attention now i've got to go back and listen to it after this episode because that sounds really cool but it I can't even like I can't hear that in my head. Bells, and I've heard Killer Queen a million times. Yeah, so I mean, cool. he he calls them bells, but it's it's a, you need to listen to it with headphones and so hearing hear both, sides. Hear both yeah. sides. And the beginning of the set, the beginning of the solo is in the middle, and then one of the the tracks comes left, and then one of the tracks comes right as independent things, and then they all join up to play that that harmony line at the end. Well, now I've got to go back and listen to it because my brain is like, oh, you've heard that song 74,000 times. Yeah. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's cool. See, I think the thing for see, I, I enjoy this stuff as for what it is, as a piece of art, as a song mm-hmm. that I can enjoy. But, the, but like the geek guitar player in me wants to know this stuff. Well, I I would say, though, and that's what makes Queen stand out over other artists like or even just bands who stand who've like stood the test of time. I would say a Queen song is not one thing. It's multiple facets. So you've got your guitar. You've got these carol. I mean, he literally uses gunpowder and caviar, Marie Antoinette, all in the same song and does oh. it well. And so like it's like it's art but it's like it's almost like a it's almost like a show like every song is so well you've got all of the music in the background which is like you said there's bells and harmony they do and they got brian may's beautiful guitar playing which does a lot of layering um and then you've got his killer vocals which no one can nail and i know tim knows this but for our people out there he actually had it was an underbite right not an overbite or was it an overbite it was a yeah, his, t- his top teeth were. So that's out. an overbite. He refused to get it fixed because, and this is from the singer and me, and I find this very interesting. One of the things when you're learning to sing is you have to learn to use vowels. And one of the reasons British people specifically have actually sound sometimes better singing is because of the way you guys enunciate your vowels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes you easier. And part of the way when you're learning to do your vowels is the way you open your mouth. So when you open your mouth, you want to drop your jaw down and kind of open the top part up and not, you don't want to put any pressure. Um, Cause then even people who sing really kind of like rough, it puts a lot of pressure on their vocal cords and then they can't perform years later. So Freddie Mercury had two really cool things going for him and he wasn't too far off. The fact that his palate was larger at the top probably made him able to open his mouth and drop his jaw and enunciate his vowels better and so he refused to fix that and he was probably on something because if you've listened to a vocal coach it's not it's not a fair thing like that could have really helped him it's an unfair advantage i guess to some of us who don't have that (laughs) but um so you have that amazing sound coming from him with these lyrics so that's what i think specifically queen i don't just think of them as musicians like you said it's a piece of art every song has all those different components that make it so unique and this killer queen's a great example of that and probably one of the best examples of the most random song lyrics that work so well in anything you've ever heard. <laughs> oh, sure. And I mean, as they later on in their career into the 80s and into the 90s, their lyrics probably got a little more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freddie didn't quite write the same fancy lyrics that he wrote early on. But if you listen to like the on Queen 1 and Queen 2, like he's talking about troubadours and all kinds of stuff. And it's, I, I have a um, I have a Queen book, which is um, album by album. And there's lots of people in there. I think it's, it's pretty cool, actually. It's got um, Steve Howe from Yes in it. It's got Paul McCartney in it. And they're all talking about various Queen songs that they like from these various albums. And a lot of them say, especially um, 
especially people from the United States, they said, we had to look this stuff up. We didn't even know what he was singing about. It's like, well, what mm-hmm. is, what's a troubadour? <laughs> what was it? The uh, Belba's, what's the thing he says in Bohemian Rhapsody we talked about previously? That's like the Beast devil. Beast Miller. Or something like that. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And to be honest, as an American, I'm just kind of making the noise. <laughs> Thinking we know, but like, I mean, but, and, but what's interesting is even, I mean, their pop music, what you would call their pop music. Some of their songs that weren't as like, you know, interested, they still, they still did a very good job of like combining a lot of things together to paint a really pretty picture. I don't mm-hmm. know how better to say it. Do you get what I'm saying, Tim? That that's what I think makes them. And I think you could even say that about some of the Beatles music and some other artists, you know, that stand the test of time. That's what um, Elton John's a good example. Even though he didn't write a lot of them, you know, he's got that partnership with Bernie or Bernie, right? Bernie. Yeah. But yeah, Bernie told him. So, but I mean, that's that kind of, um, that is what I think makes them stand out or why they keep resurfacing and people keep liking them over and over again, even after time goes. Yeah. And you guys heard my nerd come out when I was talking about singing. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that's interesting is you say about like how they, they made, they made it each song a piece of art in the early albums. I think, I think it was the game was the first one that that had it, which is very early eighties, eighty one, eighty two, something like that. Certainly, from Queen one up up to the game, there was no synthesizers on any of their albums. And in fact, in the, the album notes, they proudly say no synths. So, if you anything you hear was predominantly Brian May's guitar multi-tracked and then done different things to it to make it sound like an orchestral sound. It was only from the game onwards when they started using synthesizers. Well, and weren't they one of the artists that got kind of unique and did like weird things to make sounds sometimes in the record studio to get the sound they wanted? Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's... um... I I forget which, um, I forget off the top of my head which track it is, but they do things like when Brian May would record his guitar, you wouldn't mic the amplifier, you would mic Mm -hmm. the window in the room to get the reverberation of it. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard they made some unique choices. And also another guitar guitar geek fact for you, (laughs) for the two people that are going to be interested in this, Brian May built his own guitar with his dad, which is something which I don't need to cover, which most People know that that he's built out, mm-hmm. built out of junk. Him and his dad built it. But when you hear like the guitar orchestras of Brian May, where it's multi-tracked twenty times, he's not using a, the regular guitar amp, the Vox amplifier, which he's famously used for. He's using an amplifier built by John Deacon, who was an electronics engineer. John Deacon in like 1973 or something walked past a skip, a dumpster, and found an electronic circuit in it and thought, oh, I wonder what that is. I'll take it home and maybe I can make something with it. Because that's what you do when you're an electronics engineer, apparently. So he Mm. took it home and found out what kind of circuit it was. And he had an old bookshelf speaker and he mounted the board in this bookshelf speaker. And when they were recording Queen 2... Brian May couldn't get the kind of sound he was looking for when he was making his guitar harmonies. And John Deacon said, oh, I've got this thing at home I built. Maybe we should give this a try. And from that point on, every time you hear multi-track Brian May guitar, typically he's plugging into that bookshelf speaker with the junk circuit that came out of a dumpster. See? Okay. So that makes sense because I've heard like they had those unique pieces. I've got his person and it's tim i've only dabbled in the queen history but i have heard they did and you know they go a lot into it with the movie when they're talking about you know we will rock you was designed so that the audience could be part of the song Mm -hmm. as much as i never want to hear we will rock you again ever um (laughs) i'm sorry it's up there with bohemian rhapsody for me at this point it really is but you 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 you're talking about the album clap clap bash version yeah not the fast version from life killers so what well, I have a question for you. Is it, is it, Oh no, it's not. We will rock you. It's um, we are the champions. Mm-hmm. So have you heard of like, you know, at the end where he does the extra piece, like a lot of people think, you know, where he goes, like we are the champions. What is it that he says right of the world at the end yeah. where he is of the world. So it does every album ha- or does every version have the, of the world or is that was only when he's playing live? Cause apparently some people have this thing where when they hear certain versions, he doesn't say of the world and it, creates like a dis like combobulation in their head because they think he should be saying it i think i think we've discussed this before i think the of the world bit is live okay i don't think the studio has it on it i think you're right in that respect 
Yeah, there's a there's like a thing. It's a type of psychological thing where you think something's supposed to happen and it doesn't happen. And they did like a test on a bunch of people and they would play that. And every single one of them would expect of the world to come and it never yeah. does. What's it they yeah. call that? The Mandela effect. That's the word I was looking for, Mandela effect. And there's a whole video on it and it's about Queen. It's the of the world part because everybody thinks he's going to say it. it, hmm. it there you go. Anyway, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna wrap up this uh, vague walk through the Queen discography <laughs> via um, David Hasselhoff and Sam Jones, and I think I think I'm gonna close it. Um, I think I'm gonna close it with a Roger Taylor track. In fact, oh okay. I'm in love with my car. <laughs> That's not at all what I thought you were gonna say, Tim. <laughs> Why did you pick that one to close it with? Well, it's from a nightly opera, which, mm-hmm. as I said, flip flops being my favorite Queen album. And as if what I used to like in the early albums, Freddie Mercury, greatest singer, front man of all time, arguably. And you've got Freddie Mercury in your band, but you're still going to let Brian May sing a few songs on your album and you're still going to let Roger Taylor sing some songs on the album. And I don't know. I'm in love with my car. I mean, they, they make it as a thing in the in the film. But yeah. it was always such a great live track. And it, like, if you look back at any um, live concert of theirs, I don't think they, they don't, at the iconic Wembley 86, they don't play. I think they dropped it by then. Yeah, but I will say, even as much as like, you know, it did get some backlash in the film and they kind of make fun of it. The the lyrics, even though it's about a car, I mean, it's still kind of, you know, uniquely written where he's like the machine of a dream, just a clean machine. Like he rhymes very well. <laughs> yeah. I told my girl I'm, I had to forget her. I've got to buy me a new carburetor. See, it's not a carburetor. <laughs> carburetor. It's carburetor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not from around here, Joy. It's carburetor. <laughs> well, I would imagine that would be how you probably should say it. We probably in the South just say carburetor because that's how we sound. <laughs> but I mean, like the cars don't talk back. They're just four-wheeled Real friends. friends. <laughs> in some way, it's kind of cheeky, but it's kind of fun, too. And it, 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 they, I mean, I couldn't write. I mean, if you let me write a song, Tim, if you like woke up this morning, put on my shoe, like <laughs> I have zero writing ability. So to actually write a song about a car and it go pretty well and sound pretty cool. That's actually that takes some talent, truthfully. <laughs> yeah. As I, as I said, any of those, um, li- those early live gigs when they used to do that, I think Montreal, if you if you pull up the, Mon- the, Mon- the live in Montreal version of that that's on YouTube, Absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. As I said, Roger Taylor would be a great rock singer in any band. And he'd probably be one of the greatest rock singers in any rock band. Mm-hmm. But what is he? He's sing- predominantly singing backing vocals because he has the greatest rock singer standing at the front of the stage. He just knew that he was behind greatness and he wanted to support it. There you go. <laughs> Plus, he's a pretty good drummer. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I... I I've asked drummers how he's thought of in the drumming world and people say, yeah, he's a great drummer. I mean, I, I don't know, but I think he's good. I I don't know, to be honest. I I mean, mean, the only drummer I know that is kind of frowned upon is our favorite from the Beatles, but I love him anyway. (laughs) I mean, you can't say anything bad about Ringo. I mean, Mm -mm. I mean, they, they make a joke that, you know, Ringo wasn't even the greatest drummer in the world. No, he wasn't even the greatest drummer in the Beatles, but I mean, he's just, have you never heard heard that before? I have, but it still hurts my heart because I liked Ringo's solo career. I don't like you guys. I like Ringo. Plus, no, you, I you, like Ringo. I saw Ringo in Roanoke. I know. A couple of years ago. I was supposed to go, and then I said no, and now I regret it. We're not going to talk about it. Also, we talked about, you know, missed concerts in that last episode. Ringo Starr was one that I'm sad I skipped because of COVID, because then COVID happened, and I'm like, no, I'm never going to see him again. Just so everyone knows, I was supposed to go see Elton John during COVID. So if you think you had it rough, you didn't miss out. It probably what was your last opportunity to go to an Elton John concert. Oh, no. <laughs> and, so he comes to, and he comes to Roanoke. He's mm-hmm. one of the one of the 
big axe that actually comes to Roanoke. Because every time for people who don't live here, Roanoke's only like 40 minutes for us, whereas we usually end up having to go to Charlotte, North Carolina, with just a whole stay over. And you end up having to probably stay the night in a hotel because you don't want to drive all the way there. Then just have to watch a concert till midnight, drive all the way back. It becomes like a whole big to do when you want to go to a concert. So if anybody comes to Roanoke, which Weird Al comes to Roanoke sometimes. Yeah. And well, Ringo came to Roanoke as well. See? That's that's those are the best artists. It's any artist is listening to our podcast. First of all, give us a shout out on whatever <laughs> um, platform you have. Also, <laughs> come to Roanoke. Yes, absolutely. And we, we Virginia. Will, yeah, and if you come to Roanoke, we will big you up on here. We'll we, you know we'll we'll um we'll promote your your concert. Where how's about that? Yes. There you go. We will give you a shout out if you give us a shout out. (laughs) All right. With that, Tim, and I'm sad to hear that about Ringo, but if you guys have never listened to his solo work, do it. Yes, absolutely. And I said, I was, um, I, I was very pleased with the concert and he, the way that they do it, he has like people in his band from different bands. One of them being Steve Lukather from Toto and they play Mm -hmm. three or four Toto songs. And yes, Greg Bissonette was playing drums predominantly. However, Ringo was drumming along and I was watching what he was doing and he was keeping up. Makes sense. And more importantly than all of that, he was in the Beatles. That's that's all you need. And that, I mean, that, and he's lived his life um, and he's had a great one. And he's really fun in person. Like, I imagine he's somebody you could have a beer with at a pub or at a bar and he's the nicest, kindest person. That's what I get from him when I see him. Yeah, and he's all about peace and love. Peace and love. He's a vegetarian. I know that. Yeah. And he had his appendix out. He had appendicitis one time. I read a story about that. It's <laughs> <laughs> my facts about Ringo. And he wears glasses. <laughs> and he was in the Beatles. I mean, there you go. Everything That's that really you need. all you need to know. <laughs> well, well, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. That was my Whittlestop tour of the Queen popular catalogue. I tried not to geek out too much, but I hope that was all okay for you. <laughs> It was amazing. And I like how they became, uh, we talked about zombies, David Hasselhoff mm-hmm. and everything else. <laughs> Fabulous. Okay, everyone. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. New episodes post every Wednesday. And please do uh, like our page on Facebook, which is facebook.com. No name music cast. That's facebook.com. No name music cast. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.